Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good morning. Cool. Hey, um, my name is Eric. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't grow up an only child. I was unfortunate to have siblings. I have three of them. I have Megan, who is a year younger than me. I have Brett, who's four years younger than me. And I have a, another little sister who is going to be a sophomore in high school. Um, I don't know about you guys who have siblings in the room, but have you ever thought that maybe your parents tend to play favorites? Um, maybe every once in a while. Like, I know for me, my little sister would always get more ice cream than me, and I'd always be like, but mom, why does Megan get more ice cream than me? And she'd always be like, well, Eric, because life's not fair, and I would just have to suck it up and deal with it. Um, and maybe it's like that for some of you guys. Maybe you have some funny stories of where, like, your mom or dad played favorites with your siblings, or maybe even still today they tend to do it, where maybe they visit uh, your sister's kids more than your kids. Um, definitely play favorites. So I just thought it was kind of funny. Um, but I don't think our parents are the only ones that play favorites from time to time. I think we also tend to do it as well. Like, so there's always that one coworker who gets on your nerves, like, come on, Denise, why will you not stop talking? Or there's that one speaker on stage who has red hair who just annoys you every Sunday. He gets on stage to preach. Um, or there's Ben who also annoys you. Um, and we tend to have this idea where we play favorites and we take these people at arm's length who we just strongly dislike and don't want to be around us. And we end up keeping the people who we like more or we favor around us more often. And this culture of playing favoritism ends up leading us down a path where it's maybe not the best. Because if maybe it's your parents who judge you that you don't live up to your sibling standard. Or maybe it's you who judges a coworker because you don't live up, they don't live up to your standard. And we end up playing this game where we become judges of people as opposed to just allowing people to be themselves and allowing everyone to be the same. So the series we're in, we're continuing, is called Tension. And today we're talking about the tension between favored versus lesser, judgment versus mercy. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be opening up to a passage in James. It's going to be James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And before we dive into this passage, I just want to, I want to take a second to recognize it's been a crazy past couple weeks in our world. Um, if you've been keeping up with the news at all, or you've just been watching the Facebook trending feature, you've seen like in the past three weeks around the world, there's been attack after attack um, on people, or maybe there's been here, situations here in the U.S. where cops were shot or people were shot, and there's been all this hurting going around. In Cincinnati, this week alone, from Friday to now, there have been four different shootings that have resulted in nine deaths from 10 a.m. Friday to now. I saw that in an article last night, and I was just floored and blown away by that. And it's crazy as we sit here because oftentimes in those moments we get angry. And in our anger, we start to blame the other side. We want to say, ah, it's the Democrats' fault, or ah, it's the Republicans' fault, or ah, it's the cops' fault, or ah, it's these people's fault. And we want to blame, 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 and blame. I just want to keep that in the back of our minds as we read this passage this morning. So if you're following along, we're going to be in James 1-7. through It'll be on the screen here. It says, My brothers, show no partiality. That's just a fancy word for don't play favorites. As you hold your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and you find 
and you pay attention to the man who wears fine clothing, and you say, you sit in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you who have dishonored the poor man are not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And so in this first part of this passage, is interesting. James says, don't show any partiality. Like I said, that's just a fancy word for saying, hey, don't play favorites. Don't have favoritism among you. When someone walks into the crowd just because they look fancy or they look cool um, and you can identify with them, don't show them favoritism. And that doesn't always look like that for us today because a lot of us have kind of gotten past the whole appearance thing for the most part. Like, this is a place where we can all come in in our jeans and we can be comfortable and uh, we can kind of show up as we are. But just because we don't look at someone's appearance and do the same thing that James was talking to the people, we tend to do it differently where we don't associate with those people who maybe have a little bit different ideology than us. Or maybe they are just a little off, and they're kind of weird, and so we don't want to associate with them. And so what we end up doing is we end up pushing these people off to the side, and we say, figuratively, you sit at my feet, but you who I identify with, you who I agree with, you have this good spot next to me. You eat the good food, but you who I dislike, who I hate, who I just can't get along with, you deserve the scraps on the floor. So if we continue on, James chapter 2, verse 8 through 13, it says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable to all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. For if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you become a transgressor under the law. So speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who show no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. When we play this game of favoritism, when we play this game of keeping people at arm's length and telling them they're not good enough, what we end up doing is we become these metaphorical judges who want to stand on our high horse and say, no, we're better than you. And we're so quick to point out the sins of those around us who we think are just a little bit worse than us, who we think, oh man, you're just, you're, they're, they're bad. Like, I know I did that one thing, but do you hear what Jamie did, man? Like, he is way messed up. And we get into these moments where we're trying so hard to be better than everyone else around us. But what has clearly been said is that we're all judged under the same law. And let's face it, all of us at one point or another have failed it. So what James is saying here is, instead of judging those around you, I challenge you to show mercy as Christ showed you mercy. So that's the tension. This idea of judgment versus mercy. Because we're all going to be judged one day, right? Right? 
But in the midst of the judgment, God shows us mercy. So what does it mean for us to show mercy today? Because mercy is this weird thing, because not all of us in this room are lawyers or uh, actual court judges or anything like that. Um, We don't really all, like, we're not all keepers of the law, but we're just regular people. So how can us as regular people show mercy in our everyday lives? Well, I think the first step to showing mercy in our everyday lives is simply this. It's setting aside our own agenda. Mercy is us setting aside our own agenda. You see, when we show mercy in that moment, we're giving up our willingness and our desire to be right. When we show mercy to those around us, we give up our own personal preferences. When we show mercy, we look past someone's own personal ideology, their moral standing, their political ideology, whatever it is. Um, You could disagree with a person, they could be terrible, whatever. But when we show mercy to them, we look past all that. We look past the junk in their life, and we choose to see them as someone different. Because maybe if we started to see them as people and as children of God, we would maybe recognize that these are people who are hurting really badly. That maybe the way they're acting is because they are genuinely hurt by something that has happened to them. So what would it look like if we approach these people who oftentimes we want to keep aside because they're different or they're weird or we just disagree with them? And we actively said, no, hey, why do you act that way? Who hurt you, literally? Because that's how you're acting right now. And in those moments where we set aside our own agenda, it calls us to this. It says mercy is showing us love to those around us. You see, when we set aside our own agenda and we genuinely start to look at those people for who they are as children of God, the next step is for us to love. I like to think that mercy equals love. It's like just an equation to say that. Like, if you think of mercy, you think of love. And love is this weird thing because, like, I can say I love you till I'm blue in the face, but if I do nothing to show it, you're not going to actually think I love you. Like, if my mom didn't provide for me, I wouldn't actually think she loved me right? Or if, like, my friend says I love you, but they don't prove to me that my time is valuable to them and they desire for me to be their friend and we do stuff together, then how am I actually going to know that we're actually friends if there's not any relationship there? See, love and mercy requires us to be tangible. So there have been these tragedies in this moment, and we want to play these blame games, But how different would it look if instead of us blaming somebody or making a Facebook post or just yelling and complaining to our friends, if we actively did something about it? What would it look like to meet with those people who are hurting in that moment and give them meals, provide for them in these terrible times, visit them in the hospital, maybe donate to a cause? What would it look like if we actively did something tangible to show these people we loved them? Not with an agenda, but just to genuinely say, hey, you're a person and you matter to me. Because they don't think they matter to you if you don't show it. Mercy requires us to be tangible. And whenever I hear this, I think of a story. I think of the story in John chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to read it from mine. It's not going to be on the screen. 
But it's this, it says this in verse 1, it says, Early in the morning they came, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been called in adultery, placing her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And this they said to him to test him, that they might be able to bring a charge against him. So Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And they continued to ask him again and again, what should you do? Should we stone this woman? And Jesus stood up, and he said, you without sin cast the first stone. And he bent back down and continued to write in the sand. And one by one, starting with the older ones, they dropped their stones and went away. And it was just Jesus and the woman. He stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Therefore go and sin no more. Oftentimes in the story, we like to picture ourselves as the woman who is on the ground getting ready to be stoned. That we're in need of a Savior who's going to save us. And oftentimes that is true. Yes. We are, the, we are the person who Jesus needs to save and come into that moment and show us grace. But the harder pill for us to swallow is that more often than not, we're the Pharisees standing there with our stones in our hands, willing to throw them at anybody. Willing to throw them at the person who's just a little bit worse than us. Who's just maybe, we just don't like, and we want to get rid of them. And we want to point out how their sin is worse than our sin. But Jesus in this moment doesn't give in to what the Pharisees want. But instead he gets down into this dirt. He gets down into the very dirt that this woman is lying in. And it's probably, it's gross and it's nasty out. He's in the desert, so it's hot. And he just, he's there in the dirt with her. Jesus meets this woman where she's at. And under New Test- or Old Testament law, the law of Moses, he had every right to stone her. Those people had every right under the law to stone that woman. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, you without sin cast the first stone, and they all went away. And he showed her love, and he showed her mercy. He picked her up from the ground, and he told her to go and sin no more. But oftentimes, we don't do what Jesus did in these moments where there is hurting and tragedy. We don't get down into the dirt and we don't pick people up, and we don't show them love and compassion and mercy. Instead, we stand there with our stones ready, ready to throw them at a moment's notice. But for us to show mercy, you have to drop your stone. A couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, there was a sermon series done where Ben had these buckets of rocks up here where you had to drop your own stones into them. And I know a lot of us did it, and a lot of us put our stones in there. But I wonder at the time, did you really put your stone in there? Or did you just do it because it was the crowd was doing it? Did you really place the stone that you want to throw judgment at people in the bucket? Or did you just do it because everyone else was doing it? Because I know for a lot of us, and I do it from time to time myself, we like to hold on to our stones And we like to be able to throw them at the person who's just a little bit worse than us. 
We like to point out how their sin is worse than ours. And we just want to be able to prove that we're right about something and that we're just better than everyone else. But James says in the passage that if we choose to throw our stones at those around us, then all we are doing is choosing death. For if we break one part of the law, we're already transgressors. If we break one part of the law, we've already sinned and deserve death. But to those who show mercy, there is life. So you have a choice when you have that stone in your hand. You can choose to throw it, but in that moment that you're choosing to throw it, you're choosing death. You're choosing to follow the old ways of life that don't work. But when you choose to drop your stone, get down into the dirt, and help that person up, you choose life. Choosing mercy means choosing life. That means accepting the sacrifice that Jesus gave us, and it means leaning into that promise. So as we kind of take a minute to step back and look towards the cross today, we're going to sing a song called Jesus Paid It All. It's one of our favorite songs here. We sing it all the time. But what would it look like if we actually believed those words today? What would it look like if we believed in the power that Jesus, yes, he paid it all. And what would it look like if we actually start to live it out each and every day where we drop our stones and we show love to those around us? Because the world would start to look a little bit different here in Maysville and it would start to look a little bit different here around the world if maybe we just started showing love to the people around us even if we disliked them. And there are very tangible ways to do that. Maybe that neighbor who just gets on your nerves, you just cut his grass because you're being nice. Or maybe that coworker who just won't stop talking, who gets on your nerves every Tuesday, you just take her out to lunch that day and you get to know her a little better. It starts with simple acts of kindness to show love to those around us. But there's another group in here who have yet to accept the cross and who have yet to accept Jesus as their Savior. And I'm pretty sure some of you in this room feel like you've been judged. And I'm pretty sure some of you in this room feel like people are throwing stones at you and you feel like you walked in here with maybe a scarlet letter on that you're not good enough, that people around here know your sin. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. I'm here to tell you that Highland Christian Church strives to be a place that's different than that, and that we strive to be a place that welcomes you in with open arms, where we're going to meet you in the ground, in the dirt, and we're going to help you up. So if that's you today, and you feel like you've been judged by the church in the past, I want to apologize to you and say I'm so sorry for that. But there's a chance for this to be different. And there's a chance for grace and healing and mercy. And so if you want to accept that invitation, I'm going to be in the back. I would love just to pray with you, get your name, and we can talk later this week. So if you guys have a moment, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for mercy. Thank you for the mercy you showed us on the cross when even while we were sinners spitting in your face, laughing at you while you stood up there, you died for us anyway. 
and the moment you forgave us and said, Father, they don't know what they do. And you gave us a chance at eternal life, even when we didn't deserve it. So God, I ask that as we come before you today, you remind us what it means to be merciful. You remind us what it means to be humble. You remind us what it means to love those around us.